those of you who don't know me, my name is Tom. I'm a member here at this church, and I work for TCM, one of LCC's missions partners. And this year, TCM has the privilege of being like the highlighted mission for the International Conference on Missions. It's a nationwide event that's focused on equipping the global church to live missionally. And so the president of TCM is like the president of ICOM this year. And it's a cool thing because he gets to choose the theme for the conference this year, gets to have some input on what the main sessions look like and stuff like that. And the theme that he chose is called perfect unity. And he is using the passage of John 17, 20 through 23. That's kind of the main focus for the conference. And so when Craig asked if I was going to preach today, I was saying, okay, what, you know, what should we be you know, talking about today? And he said, well, what's God, what's God teaching you right now? What, what's moving in your life? And I brought this up to him, and he says, okay, I, I think this makes sense. So today we're going to be looking at John 17. And if you have your Bibles or your smartphone or whatever you use to access the Holy Scriptures, open to John 17. And I want to invite you on this journey with me. So I'll just say right now that I don't fully understand, you know, this passage. I don't fully understand, you know, this Bible. But I think that's important for us to always have this attitude, and all of us act this way. When we know, and I appreciate this about Craig so much, it's clear when he comes on stage and he's done this work and he's studying, he's looks at scripture, you can tell that he's wrestled with it. You can tell that it's affected him personally. And it doesn't come up saying, okay, I've studied this, I've got all this knowledge here, now I'm just gonna lecture you or impart this knowledge upon you. But rather, it's inviting you into the journey with him to grapple with the scripture yourself. And that makes it so much more practical because as we go about life and we have friends and we have family and they say, you know, what, what is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus guy? Or what's God teaching you? And you can say, you know what? <laughs> I am far from having it all figured out, but let me tell you what he's doing in my life. I don't know exactly how best to explain this, but this is how it's changed my life. So I would just ask just to show me a little extra grace as I grapple with this and invite you into this journey with me. And um, let's start just by reading this. So Father, we recognize first your presence here with us today. And as we opened our hearts and mind to the scripture this morning, we ask that you speak to us. As we wrestle with what your word says, may it not just go to our minds, but it affect, may it affect our hearts in actions, in the way we live each day. We ask this in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So John 17, 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me 
and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, when we we look at this passage of scripture and where it fits, of course, John is an account of Jesus, his life. And John 1, all the way through chapter 16, it shows his ministry, his three years with his disciples, all the miracles, all the stories. And then it comes to chapter 17 right here. And after chapter 17, the only thing that's left in the gospel is Jesus's crucifixion and his resurrection, the short time he has left on earth. So we're here at this pivotal point in John 17 where Jesus knows his time is limited. And what does he do in his final hours before he knows he will be crucified? He prays. And as we progress through the chapter, if you just see at the beginning of chapter 17, first, Jesus prays to be glorified, prays, to, prays that God would complete his mission through him. And then moving down in chapter, or verse 6, Jesus begins praying for his disciples, the men he's been faithfully mentoring, or maybe better said, discipling for the past three years. And then he goes on, and we get to that section that we just read And Jesus prays for all believers. He prays for us. Verse 20 specifically, he says, My prayer is not for them alone, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So those that will believe in Jesus through the message of his disciples. So did you know that Jesus prayed for you? And it just makes me wonder if there, because Jesus was all God, but he was all human. Like, did, did specific people come to his mind when he prayed? And I think it's so beautiful because it doesn't just say about, it doesn't, it doesn't just describe and show Jesus's heart for the world and heart for all people, but it shows Jesus's method as well. And that is disciple making. He didn't come and set up giant events and say, this is how we're going to spread the gospel to the universe by having everybody come into a stadium, hearing the word, and then we're gonna do that over and over again. No, he knew that it was going to be the intentional training of these 12 guys and that they would go and reproduce themselves and train others to train others and then the multiplication effect would happen. And then all of a sudden, you've got Christians in every corner of the world and more Christians in China now today than all of Europe combined. And this is why it's so important for our church too to participate, not only in just the message of Jesus, not only to just hear and understand what he says, but to participate in the method of Jesus as well and to make disciples. The next verse, verse 21, it says that all of them, all believers, may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's clear in this section that Jesus is somehow united with the Father and is inviting us in to share in that same relationship, in that same unity with him. This this passage, in in my opinion, it's almost hard to read. There's so much I and him and him and me and them and us and this and this, and it's like, what? 
But it starts to make more sense when you understand God, not just as a being, but God as the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, explaining the Trinity is not an easy task at all. (laughs) I don't think anyone fully understands, or at least not anyone I've met. But I read something recently that I want to share that changed the way that I think about the Trinity. And I believe it gives value to understanding this passage as well. So I'm taking just a few quotes from this book I've been reading called Perspectives on Ecclesiology and Ethnography. It's a bit of a doozy. And it's written by several different authors, um, but this one section I'm going to be quoting is from a guy named Dr. Paul Fittes. I looked up how to pronounce that, so I'm pretty sure that's right. He's, He's a British theologian, and he writes about experiencing God, okay, the way God reveals himself to us. And the first quote I want to share, it says, it makes most sense if we think of what are traditionally called the persons so the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the persons in God as nothing more or less than movements in relationship. Okay, so hang on here with me. Meaning that when we think about God, we're thinking less of a person or a being and more of God as himself a relationship. Some say an event of relationships, or three movements of relationships subsisting in one event. Okay, now that's hard to wrap our minds around, but isn't that just an advantage of thinking about God? If if God was so simple that we could just easily understand it and move on to the next thing, we would know that God isn't as complex or as big as we know that he is. And yet in his complexity, he created us in a way that we can experience who, maybe even what, God is. Dr. Fittes goes on to say, he says, The triune God cannot be conceptualized as either subject or object, and so cannot be known by observation, but only by participation. We know God when we engage in relations of love, compassion, and justice. Now, this is a game changer when we think about our relationships with one another, right? This passage isn't just talking about the Father, but he's saying that we would have unity together. So when we put others before ourselves and truly love them, we're not just making God happy, but we're experiencing a God who is love. When we put our anger and selfishness aside and we show compassion to others, we don't just fulfill a commandment God gave us, we experience a God who is compassion. When we stand up for the weak and the marginalized, we don't just participate in God's justice, but we experience a God who is justice. And in Jesus' prayer, he shows us that it's possible to sit in the same relationship with God when we engage in our relationships with one another. So what Jesus continues in verse 22, him again continuing to pray to God, he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, 
in you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Let me read that one more time and try to rearrange the pronoun so it's talking about we from our perspective. This won't be easy, so hold on. So Jesus gave us the glory that God gave Jesus that we, us people, us Christians, may be one just as Jesus and God are one. Jesus and God and God and Jesus so that we may be brought to complete unity. Some translations of this even say perfect unity. Now, how is this even possible? I mean, doesn't Jesus know how much as Christians will fight and disagree about things? Doesn't he have the foreknowledge to know how many different denominations that are gonna be created even within just the Christian church? And let's not even talk about how politics continue to divide people as well. But Jesus prayed it, and Jesus believed that this idea of perfect or complete unity is possible for us. Now, I don't think Jesus thought that we would all just always agree about everything. But he knew that there would be something that we can all agree on, and that this thing would be more important than anything else. Knowing Jesus and subsequently knowing the Father has to be the top priority and top commonality that we have in all of our relationships with one another. Look at this same verse again, verse 23. It says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. It's through that relationship that all of our relationships can flourish. And if it actually happens, if we keep that as our top priority and our relationships flourish, this is what it says. It says at the end, then the world will know that you sent me and you loved me even, or have loved them even as you have loved me. When we put our relationships first, our relationship with God and with others, and I hope you're seeing the point that those are really not that distinct, that we experience that complete unity, and the world will notice a difference. Craig and Kurt, two pastors here at the church, they just recently finished um, their master's degree with TCM, and so for four years, they've been diving deep into theology, the theology behind ministry, its struggles, different programs, methods, so many different things, and so many potential that we have as Christians to have disagreements of, on all of these things. And yet on the last day of the last class of their program, one of the students was reflecting with the group, and he said, you know... I think the only thing that really matters in this world is relationships. I mean, even this degree, you know, that we're getting, this is all good and fine, but the only thing that matters is relationships. And I thought that was so interesting, but I think this student, he got it. He realized that the God who is relationship created a world out of relationship, saved it through relationship, 
And he realized that unless our top priority in this life is our relationship with God and with others, then nothing else really matters. I led a trip of youth over to Austria before, and sometimes they're really nervous. They're getting on the plane for the first time. We all gather at the airport, and they're like, okay, the packing list, I got my bag, everything. And one, one time, one of them said to me, like, okay, am, am I forgetting anything? You know, I've got this, 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 and this. And so do you have your passport? Yes. Nothing else really matters. <laughs> I mean, at this point, we're at the airport, nothing else really matters. But it's that type of mentality. When, yes, other things are important, we have a packing list, but the one thing that we know matters above us should be and remain our focus. And I just want to take a moment right now, and this is where if I would have a stool, I'd sit down and get real with you. <laughs> I want to say that it's okay if we disagree on things. Okay, it's okay that we have disagreements. It's okay if we have different theology even. It's okay if we have different denominations of churches when we don't align on everything exactly. That's okay. In 2022, this year that we're going into, it will bring division. It will bring the potential for major disagreements on a personal level, a national level, a global level, and everywhere in between. So when we encounter non-Christians, the first thing, we may have to make sure that above all else, we show them love, compassion, and justice. And that our relationship with God and them takes top priority before anything else. And when we're dealing with Christians, it's hardly any different. It's important that we recognize our commonality in Christ and that we're both participating in the unity we have with Christ and the glory he gave us, the same as the glory that Jesus has with the Father. And I'm not saying that you have to be best friends with everybody, okay? And again, it's okay that we have disagreements. It's when the disagreements take priority over relationships and we cause pain, anger, and eventually resentment towards one another. So I want to challenge you all when we disagree, because it's going to happen, we keep Jesus in that commonality, the top priority. Even if you have to part ways with that person, but you do so in a way that's honoring to God and that individual. Because it's so, so tempting to say, well, yeah, but I need to make sure that they know you know, the truth about this. Or I need to make sure that, you know, my voice is heard, even if it means, you know, somebody getting their feelings hurt. And I'll just say, even like a hard topic that we, we don't often talk about, even if people change churches, okay? I mean, we, we have, this is not normal for most of the world. Most of the world doesn't have the convenience of saying, hey, I disagreed with somebody, so I'm just gonna go down to the church, you know, down the road and, you know, make, uh, make a home and, and family there. Most places in the world, that's not possible. It's the local church and there are no other churches. But even if that happens, even if someday you have a disagreement with something and want to like leave Lebanon Christian Church and go to a different church, that's actually okay, What's not okay is that by whatever that disagreement is, making a fuss about it or causing that division where those relationships are hindered, possibly never to be mended again. 
And so whether it's about a church or whether it's about a family member or whatever it is, when you're dealing with this disagreement and you do have to part ways with somebody or maybe not be so close to them, do so hugging every single person out the door. Do so honoring them in a way and saying, wow, Lord, I know you are doing a good work in this church. I know you are doing a good work in this person. And even if I don't see it right now, I know you are powerful enough to redeem this situation and to, be, to make something good out of it. So Lord, I bless this person. I bless this church because I know that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's nothing else that matters more than that. I wanna end with a story about an American volunteer that went to Austria TCM's main campus called Haus Edelweiss. Now this uh, guy, the story is about a guy named James. James grew up as a military kid. His dad was in the Air Force. And when he came of age, James also joined the Air Force. And he served during the Cold War in the 80s. And James said that from day one in the Air Force, they were trained to think of Eastern Europeans as their enemy. I mean, everything you did was for the goal of fighting and defeating them. Years later, James left the Air Force and became a commercial air pilot, airline pilot. And one day, his wife said that, hey, we should go on this mission trip to, to TCM with TCM in Austria. But James really resisted the idea at first because he came to learn that these trips were designed to serve different Christians in Eastern Europe. But eventually he said yes. And so for two weeks, James and Austria cleaned the toilets, changed bedsheets, and did a variety of other acts of service for these men and women in, from Eastern Europe. And his heart started to soften. And when it came time for the campfire service one evening, he got up in front of everybody and he was honest with them. He said, you used to be my mortal enemies. My job in the Air Force was to kill you. But I came over here and I served you. And I realized that we are no different. God looks at us the same and we're all brothers in Christ. And I would go anywhere, back here, or anywhere else to serve, you as again, to serve you again as your brother. He sat down, said his piece, and another man got up from the other side of the circle. He's a man from Belarus. He stood up and began telling his story. He said that I too was in the Air Force, except I was in the Air Force for Russia or at the, the USSR at that time. I was a MiG-29 pilot and later a MiG-29 trainer. And my whole mindset was to do the exact same, was to kill you Americans. And that I too see that we were mortal enemies, but now we are brothers. He walked over to James, they both stood up and they embraced each other as brothers in Christ and they still remain good friends today. No matter how much the world drives us apart, because there's so many reasons why, Christ made a way so that can, we can be brought back to complete unity with one another. No one expects you to be perfect either. Let's just say that. But people can see 
Even little kids, they can see the difference and they can see that what matters most to you. They can see through the imperfections and say, you know what, even though my dad or my mom or whoever it is is not perfect, I can see that I matter to them and that this relationship that I have with them is important. There is, I heard a story of one little girl, I um, never forget this. At her father's funeral, they were asking her, you know, what is it that you, you loved most about your dad? And she said, I loved it that my dad always said he was sorry. Who do you need to say you're sorry to? What relationships do you have with your spouse, your kids, your extended family? Yes, I mean that uncle. Yes, I mean that one cousin. Friends, your coworkers. That if you're honest with yourself, you know that, that your relationship with them, you have not shown that to be your top priority. This year, may we focus on these relationships. May we find and fully lean into the community and the commonality we have in Jesus Christ. Because perfect unity doesn't come from agreeing on everything perfectly. But it comes from agreeing that there was one who is perfect and that it's through him that all our relationships will flourish. So Father, we thank you again for showing yourself to us through the word, through this passage that seems to be teaching me more and more every time I read it. Lord, help our theology to become deeper and yet more simple and that we focus on you and focus on others in our relationships. Lord, may you reign above all this year. May you reign in our relationships. And Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you mend what is broken? Would you find what is lost? And may you guide us step by step in our relationship with you and those around us. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.